This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado, The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts. Blue Wire. Kawhi Leonard is going to join the Clippers. Kawhi turns the corner for the win. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to Clip and Roll. I am your host, Justin Russo. I am the other dude, Farbad Essenshari. Did you have to think of who you actually were? I don't know who I am. Does anybody know who they are at this point anymore? No. So anyways, this podcast is being brought to you. Wait, what'd you say? I was going to say, I could take that a whole route. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. This podcast is being brought to you by Bet Online and Indeed. Oh, and Blue Wire, of course. I don't know why. I just forgot about Blue Wire. As you people can tell, uh, we waited uh, about, what is it now, two days to record this after the Clippers lost Game 7. We will get to Game 7 in a minute, but we are going to cover what came before Game 7 because that is our due diligence. When we last left off, Everything was great in Clipperland. They were up 2 one in the in the series against the Denver Nuggets, and then <laughs> fart noise. It all ended. Anyways, in Game Four, they won ninety six eighty five, but only after they blew a nineteen point lead. In Game Five, they lost one eleven one oh five after blowing a sixteen point lead and a thirteen point lead with thirteen minutes to go. In Game Six, they lost one eleven ninety eight after blowing a nineteen point lead early in the second or early in the third quarter. And in Game 7, they lost 104-89. They blew a 12-point lead towards the end of the first half, I believe, and a 7-point lead early in the third quarter. Farbod, I don't want to go super in-depth on the games because that, that would take way too much time. I don't want to be here for 90 minutes dissecting every little... stupid. Well, yeah, kind of. We'll go with that. Um Basically, I look at look at it as the Clippers played pretty poor for large stretches of games. And the Denver Nuggets took advantage of those poor stretches by also having their great stretches during that time. For instance, like you end up looking through all the statistics that you could for this series. And one of them that comes right to the forefront more than anything else is three point shooting. 
And the Clippers in game one of this series ended up shooting 41.7%. And that was a carryover from their first round series when everything was going well. And they looked like, hey, this team is going to be making a ton of threes as they move on to, to each round beyond that. And it didn't happen. Like, it just didn't happen. Everything after game one went into the toilet. Or it they didn't. Shot in, in, you know, in some of the games in the first half, it did. Just in the second half, it didn't. Co- correct. You're absolutely 100% co- correct. Uh, in game two, they shoot 28% from three. In game three, they shoot 20, uh, 35 and a half. Game four, which they won. They won game four shooting 28.6% from three. That's insane. Uh, game five, 38.1 game six, 37. Now, now on the surface, those two aren't bad, but when you talk what they did in the second half, it's categorically worse. And game seven, 25.7% from three, you know, they had an entire series. When you look through it, they got, they got plenty of open looks and they didn't make them, especially in the second half of games. Um, you end up looking at it for the series, the Clippers ended up shooting 33.3% as a team from three. Now, Denver shot 35.8%, and it might not seem like that big of a difference, but 33% is pretty bad for a team that was top five, if not one of the better elite of the elite shooting teams when it comes to three-pointers, especially in the bubble. You know, uh, Marcus Morris was the only guy on the team to take at least 23s and shoot at least 40% in the second round. Now, Jermichael Green shot 43.8% on 16 threes, so he's kind of at that threshold. But Landry Sham at 22%. Patrick Beverly, 35. Lou Williams, 15%. Uh, Paul George, 38%, which, to be fair, is still good. Like, he was at 42 43% prior to Game 7. Kawhi Leonard was 36%. They just didn't shoot well. They really just didn't. And as much as I can gripe about their defense, you know, and I've done videos of their poor defense from games five and six, their offense just let them down. They missed so many good looks. And at the end of the day, and that includes layups, by the way, they missed layups. And dunks. And dunks. So at the end of the day, their offense is what sent them home. And look, I mean, they have the firepower to be a great team if not a title winning team, but it didn't happen this year because they went cold and missed shots at the worst time. And that's how it goes. Now that's a polite way to put everything. You can give the impolite way if you would like to right now. Well, I mean, you're up what 16 in game five. You're up 19 in game six. You're up, 12 in game seven you you were up by an average of 15 points against the nuggets and you lost all three games in four out of six of the games that they lost in the playoffs they were up by an average of 17 points that's asinine yeah okay you brought that up the the game that they lost in the first round for people who don't remember uh they lost game four to dallas after being up by i believe 21 at one point and gave it all away i want to say that was early third maybe and there's been a common denominator every single time and it's every single time they put the bench in they would give up a lead nearly every single time it became bench minutes the other team would put in a starter and then they'd give up the lead now there's a specific moment you know game five you could argue 
if Marcus Morris didn't talk that trash against Paul Millsap, like the Nuggets would be done because Paul Millsap just had like an out of body experience, which he literally claimed he blacked out and then just brought the Nuggets back to life. But either way, you got to take a look at what Doc Rivers is doing and just one. And you, I mean, you tweet about it all the time. You take a look at what Doc Rivers is doing every single time. And it's like, you played the same game three times in a row. You, you would three times. You would leave in Trez against Jokic. He was game five. He left in Trez against Jokic and Jokic hit back to back threes. And then it was like a five point deficit instead of, instead of a lead and then it was like okay you guys are already down now and the momentum's already shifted and now you're gonna take out Trez that's not how it works man like you have to prevent that yeah they were up 13 with 13 and a half minutes to go in game five I'm gonna repeat that they were up 13 they Kawhi Leonard hits a three. Oh, that was in the third quarter yes I mean, I'm sorry yeah I, you're right I should I should clarify that when I say with a minute and a half to go, I mean the third quarter, because that's I, I understand that could be a little bit confusing at times. Um, Kawhi Leonard hits a three to put the Clippers up 80 to 67 with 125 to go. And he's Denver, pounding his chest. He's pounding his chest. The Clippers family members in attendance are dancing because they they can feel it. Like they can feel it. At the 124 mark, when that timeout happens. Doc Rivers takes out Zubots, which I understand he'd been in for the entire quarter, but he takes out Zubots and leaves him in and, and puts Trez in when Jokic is out there. And the ensuing swing is two Paul Millsap free throws, a Marcus Morris missed three, a Paul Millsap jumper, a Kawhi Leonard missed jumper, and two more Paul Millsap free throws. So it ends up going from a 13 point lead to seven in the blink of an eye. And the even worse thing, they were still up six with nine minutes to go in the game. And, you know, like they had chances, like they had all these chances. Zubats comes back in at 548 in the fourth quarter in a uh, in a six point game. It then becomes a two point game, but they couldn't get stops. Uh, Jeremy Grant hits a three. Then Jokic hits a three. You know, it's like they had all these things. They even get it down to two with one with one fifty eight to go. And, and Lou Williams Lou take a bad shot. Lou, I don't even think it was a bad shot. I think it's a bad shot. So the shot itself isn't bad, right? The shot itself isn't bad. But when a dude is two for twenty one, and he is not the reason why a six zero run just happened, you let the guys who got you the six zero run take that shot. I would agree with you. I would agree with you on that premise. I think the shot itself is fine. And one that we've seen Lou hit time and time again. Or but even beyond two. what happened? Or go for a two. I don't know or why. Go for you a two, go yeah. But that was the backbreaking sequence because Lou misses the open three and Michael Porter Jr. comes down and cans a three right in Lou Williams' face. And now you went from possibly up one to down five in the in a literal blink of an eye. And they had no chance. And then in game six, it's somehow even worse because you're up 19. Like, like you're up 19 early in the third quarter after a great run to start the quarter. And it's like you literally just saw two days ago 
what happened when you took your foot off the gas with bad decisions? He takes Avica Zubats out of the game and everything goes to hell. And I'm not going to blame this on Montrez Harrell. I, I talked about this with Jovan on a podcast. I, I don't blame Montrez Harrell. But Montrez Harrell comes in into game six, 6-17 to go, and the Clippers are up by 12. And it's made even worse because Nikola Jokic is at the free throw line already. You could literally see him on the floor and you still put him in. And by the time uh, Zubats comes back into the game, that lead's done. You're up by one. You gave up an 11, you gave up 11 points in like four minutes. Like, I don't, I don't know what to say. Like, yes, the offense went cold. And yes, I've talked about that. But the defense was bad because of decisions made to put bad defenders in the game. I had a tweet tonight. And just so people know, we're recording this on Thursday, Thursday, September 17th. So a full two days after game seven, we took our time. Um, I've been pretty calm. Farbod has been very angry for right for rightful reasons in my opinion um i had a tweet tonight i don't know if you saw it the clippers were one of the top zone defense teams in the nba this this season in terms of like percentage of time using a zone defense only 20 they they use a zone defense more than 23 of the 30 teams or 23 of the 29 other teams i guess i should say in the second round against Denver, do you know how many times they used the zone defense? I don't think I ever saw them use it. Three times. Do you know the last time they did it? Nope. Late in game five, down by down by five or down by four, and they got a turnover out of it. It was like 102-98. They were down by four. 102-98, they come down. They're in a zone defense. They forced Denver into a turnover. And that is the literal last time in the series they ran a zone defense. They That's the only time they ran a zone defense after game three. Why? They ran it once in game one, once in game three, once in game five. It was two missed threes and a turnover. Now, I'm not saying the results are why you should do it, but like you have to think outside the box at some point. They never did. They kept going to their tried and true and it killed them. That's what's that's what's most frustrating because it's like the Miami Heat took out Myers Leonard, who started a lot of the games because they understood the matchup. And it's just something about the way Doc Rivers coaches where he just cares about the name of the guy and not the matchup or the data, right? It's it's the same thing as last year where he yelled at us for kind of insinuating like, you know, maybe you shouldn't start Avery Bradley and you should start Patrick Beverly. And and it was the same situation. He, he looked more at the name of Avery Bradley than he did at the data behind Avery Bradley. And it's it's literally the same thing. Honestly, honestly, there's a reason why you blow 3-1 leads. There's two reasons. One, you were never supposed to be up 3-1 and you overaccomplished and you were the lesser team. So then the other team comes back. Or two, you were that much better than the other team and you choked. Now, if you're the same coach that has choked more than any other coach in NBA history, right? Or And twice within the same organization in five years, there's a common denominator there, right? That means you were up and then you didn't figure out a way to adjust every single time. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving. 
and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash podcast. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. When you look at net rating for this series, like in terms of like differential, um... It's funny, Lou Williams, the Clippers were 24.9 points per 100 possessions better with Lou Williams on the floor, which is hilarious. Uh, they were they were 20 and a half points worse per 100 possessions with Montrezl Harrell on the floor. And I'm sorry, that's just, it's bad. Like if a guy who is torpedoing you that much in 134 minutes should not be seeing the floor. And it's least, also like it's also and Trez is my guy, but it's like you're getting two rebounds a game, right? And you're a negative. And we're getting crushed on the boards every single game. When we were a top rebounding team and the best team in the NBA at second chance points all season. What are we doing? You know what I'm saying? Like, how are you not looking at this data? How how I like I cannot fathom. And I'll say this as bluntly as possible. To me, blunt, baby. to me, it doesn't literally, unless the Clippers win like 60-something games, unless they win like 65 games, 67 games in the regular season, and everyone is like, holy crap, these guys are amazing. I literally could care less what they do next year if they still have the same coach. Because it doesn't matter what they do. Somehow we figure out a way to screw it up, whether it's 2015 or 2020. Somehow we figure out a way to mess it up, right? So. We're, we're in 2015, and then they choke, and then two years later, it's like, man, they just had chemistry issues. They just weren't ready. 
blah, 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 right? 2020, we had the same exact coach, completely different team, and they choke again, and Lou Williams message, mentions chemistry issues again. So if, we, so if we have an entirely different team, and we did the exact, literally the exact same choke from 2015, game six, up 19 points in the third quarter, literally the same exact choke, what's the issue then? Does it matter who's on the court? Because somehow you guys just aren't motivated enough to, to win a game. Somehow you guys aren't motivated enough to put your foot on the gas pedal. It makes zero sense to me to move forward with somebody who's allowed the same exact collapse with different players, one who is arguably the greatest in the NBA within a five-year span. The same, like, it, that was why I was more upset with Game 6 and Game 7 because it was the same exact collapse down to the point differential as five years ago. And somehow we allowed that to happen again, despite having the most stacked team in NBA his- in, in Clipper history. So if you can't get it done with the most stacked team in Clipper history, like what do I care? Why, why should I care at all what you guys do next season if you have the same coach and the same exact thing could happen? So uh, two things. Number one, I think when Lou Williams mentioned chemistry, I think he was talking about on-court chemistry, not off. I will say that because um, I do buy into the fact that they did not have chemistry on the court. I buy that because you look at the stuff that they did on the court and like when certain guys would come in, the the offense didn't run the same. And I, I do buy into that, that it's partially because guys didn't come into the bubble. You know, I'm not gonna say on time because that, that insinuates that they were late due to their own. I don't buy that. The Nuggets well, didn't even let, have let, enough people no, to hold run. Hold on, hold on. Just, I, I understand. Let me, let me just finish. Well, the difference between them and the Nuggets is the Nuggets have been together for several years. So, so, so hold on for that for a second. I do buy into the on-court chemistry stuff because they also only had like 12 or 13 games together in the regular season. And then you have to patchwork it together, you know, in, in a playoff. But I also, I buy it. I just don't care. I really don't. Like, I don't care about it. And number two, I'd be more sympathetic to them if we didn't see this exact thing happen in the first round. Because remember, when we recorded after first round games, we kept saying, don't play Montrez Harrell against Boban Marjanovic. Don't play, don't play Trez against Boban. Don't play Trez against Boban. And what they keep doing, they kept doing it. And you look at the net rating, the on-off from the first round, and Trez is the worst player by far. You look at the second round, on-off rating of people who got considerable minutes. Trez is the worst player by far. I'm sorry. They saw what went wrong in the first round and doubled down in the second. And to make matters worse, and this is the other thing, I do 100% agree with you. I was more annoyed and pissed at games five and six than I was at game seven. I never expected them to win game seven. I just, even when they went up by 12, I just was like, this ain't happening. Um, And that's the other thing too, is they never adjusted like from anything. It's like they never, they didn't adjust from game five. They didn't adjust from game six and they didn't even try to adjust in game seven outside of what Reggie Jackson, early third quarter minutes, which was something to behold, I guess. Um, I do believe in one thing, though. 
I do think them going up 3-1 was the worst thing that could happen to them. Not because of like, oh my God, they blew a 3-1 lead or like they could blow a 3-1. No. Because in the Dallas series, when they when it when Dallas tied it at 2-2, the Clippers did adjust. They adjusted their defense to start trapping and hedging against Luka Doncic more. When they went up 3-1 against Denver, I don't feel like they thought they had to adjust anything. And then they had a big second-half lead in Game 5 and blew it. So in their mind, they probably thought, oh my God, we were this close to winning, doing what we were doing. That can't happen again. And then it happened again in Game 6. And their mindset after Game 6 was probably, oh my God, we had another big lead doing the same thing we've been doing. There's no way that can happen another time. And it happened again. You know, it's the definition of insanity. You can't keep doing the same thing over and over and expect different results. And and then, I don't mean to be long-winded here. I'm sorry. But the other thing was, he played Trez like 26 minutes in Game 7. Like, why? The, the worst thing that happened to the Clippers, honest to God, was that scoring run that Trez and Lou had at the end of the first quarter and into the second. Because that really solidified, in Doc's mind, they were good to go for the rest of the game. And he took out good defenders and put in bad defenders who weren't doing anything offensively after that run, and it killed them. And it to me, I know there's. Oh, so, oh, oh, I'm sorry, yeah. I don't want to cut you off. I don't want to cut you, off, but I do want to say I don't blame Montres Harrell. I do not. And if it sounds like I'm being harsh on him, or Farbaz being harsh on him, or anybody's being harsh, I personally do not blame Montres Harrell for what happened in this series. I can't. It's not his fault. It's Doc Rivers' fault and the coaching staff's fault for continually putting him into situations and the team into situations they were never going to be able to sustain and and, and handle. That's not the fault of the player who can't do it. It's the fault of the guy who put the guy who can't do it in that situation. And to be honest... There was so much BS. Just like, you, are we really going to talk about how they're too fatigued to play a game seven? Like, are we really going to make that statement in the air? Like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Honestly, the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Jokic had COVID and look what he's doing, right? None of these excuses were excuses until you choked. And instead of just saying like, I should have followed the data or blah, 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 blah. They were tired. Like that's like you look at and I hate to make this like the whole anti-doc thing, but at this point I'm just fed up. And it's like you look at the Clippers have only won one series in all in the last decade with him as a coach without going to seven games. And that was against the Mavs. And that shouldn't have even gone six because you put Reggie Jackson in the game and let Luka Doncic score a game winner over it. And in all of in the in the last eight years since 2012, Doc has only won two series without going to seven. One against the Hawks with the Celtics, and this one against the Mavs. Like, why is that? Because he's he's had a good roster every time, and somehow manages to blow it every time. He's also, I think they said it was the fifth time in seven series that he's had a lead on a team and then lost a lead a series lead, whether it's one zero two zero two one. And then loss. Like, that's atrocious. That's not acceptable. It's clear as day what the issue is. So I don't know what you what you think moving forward. I think they probably need a better, they need a backup big that 
is actually defensive and can get rebounds. And they probably need a pass-first point guard unless they want to fully commit to point Kawhi, which they, I mean, they can if they want, but I prefer if they get a pass-first point guard. But either, honestly, to me, I'm so jaded at this point because of the last five years that even if they get those things, like, I don't even care. You'll, you'll figure out a way to play the wrong rotation and then lose with an overly talented team. So, do, do you want to talk about offseason right now, then? Nah, we save that for another time. Because right, well, what I was going to say is, I think the front office has a guy already to be the backup big. And I, and I, and I do. I, I, I don't know if he'll be ready, but I think that's who the front office is going to bank on next season. It's Fiondu Kevangeli, their first round pick from last, from this past draft. I think he's the guy that they're going to try to bank on. And I think they picked him because they were going to let Montrez Harrell walk or get traded in free agency or anything like that. So, you know, he's a rebounder. He's a, def- he's a defender at the rim. He can hit some threes occasionally. I, I just think that he's the guy that the front office is going to bank on in that regard, in terms of the backup big as for the past first point guard, it might just be Terrence Mann at this point. I don't know. I mean, I like Pat. I think Pat should stay. No, Pat should stay. I just don't know what they're going to do for like, if you want to get into the, excuse me, if you want to get into the crazy stratosphere of things we might see is Reggie Jackson back. And if Reggie Jackson's back, I'm going to imagine Lou Williams is gone. So the team that you saw walk out of game seven on Tuesday, some of those parts are not going to be back. Is Marcus Morris Sr. going to be back? Is Jermichael Green going to be back? I don't know. I think they should bring both back, definitely. They should definitely bring we'll Jermichael. I think they absolutely... So here's the thing. If you let Montrez Harrell walk, I think you absolutely need to bring back Jermichael Green because he needs an increased role. Yes. That's the guy I would bring back 100%. Marcus Morris Sr., 100%, I would re-sign him. Those two were not the problem in the postseason. More trash. Because you know what the other problem is with the Clippers? Is they talk too much trash all season. And it made everybody that much more fired up to go against them. They didn't need an extra target on their back. Like, honestly, I think I saw a stat today that showed how much they were outscored after Marcus Morris bumped Paul Millsap. And it's like, we don't need to... Everyone in the NBA was celebrating them losing. Right? Dame, CJ, Jared Dudley, all these guys are just going off. And it's like, well, stop talking trash then because we don't need to get everybody that much more motivated if you guys are going to take your foot off the gas pedal. Here's the thing. I kind of don't care if they talk trash. I think trash talk is fine. No, but there's talking trash and there's the stuff that Marcus Morris was doing or the stuff that like Pat Bev is doing, laughing on the bench, pointing, and we have to have a whole E, like 30 for 30 documentary special about how Damian Lillard's feelings were hurt. I'm. I just. I don't care about that stuff. I think at the end of the day, they need to just play better. I'm. I'm pretty. I'm pretty. Like ninety five percent confident. If Morris doesn't shove Paul Millsap, this is over in five. Maybe, but we also don't know. Like, I'm not going to try to hypothesize what might have happened. I just think you can't. You have to save Doc Rivers from himself. 
They did it last year by trading Avery Bradley. I think they're going to have to do it this offseason by just letting Montrez Harrell walk. And I don't – like this isn't meant to crap on Trez. I don't think he fits on this team. He fit on last year's team. He didn't fit on this one because he's too he's too uh, ball dependent. He needs the ball or else he's not doing anything. And that's the problem. And you th- there's, there's not enough – like with Kawhi and PG and and even Marcus sprinkled in, like there isn't enough ball to go around. Like you need guys who were willing to do the dirty work. And as much as Trez plays with energy and all this hustle and stuff, well, everyone's hustling and playing hard in the postseason, So that's gone. Like his edge there is gone. It's not January 13th of the regular season and you're flying into Indiana and you need someone to, to give you heart and hustle for 30 minutes to, to, to deliver you a win. It's a postseason against a team that is going to be scouting you for potentially seven games and know what you run and know how your guys play and they're playing hard. So that advantage he has from the regular season is gone. And that has always been one of the biggest problems. Lou Williams is great. I don't think, I don't think he does anything in the postseason. He was very good as a passer for the Clippers in the postseason and surprisingly showed good defense early on in the series. But do you know what happened? Like starting in game five, Denver started picking on him and Trez. They found ways to pick on them and it killed the Clippers. And if you're playing negative defenders, extended minutes in the playoffs, you're going to get hammered. And they got hammered every time. It didn't change. So at this point, you got to save Doc Rivers from himself. And I believe that means letting Montrez Harrell walk and possibly trading Lou Williams. I also think that means we're going to see them try to get someone in free agency who is either a backup ball handler or, as you said, a backup big, even though I think they believe they might have one. It's just going to be interesting. They have an offseason. It's not going to be an easy offseason. They're going to be over the cap. So, and, oh, and I guess we should talk about this. Kawhi and PG are going to be going into their final years of their contracts. So you better show that you give a damn about winning. Or, or I feel like Kawhi is going to stay. Okay, I feel like Kawhi and PG are both going to stay, but I can't operate under the assumption that no matter what this front office does, those two are going to stay. Like we don't know, it's the NBA. So it's it's a pivotal point in the franchise and we're 50 se- I thought this was going to be the year they at least got to the conference finals. 50 seasons, the 50th season would have been the first year in the conference finals. But I guess in some sick twisted way, they lost in the exact same way. Well, in some sick, twisted way, though, it's kind of nice to know the 50th season ended just like every other one. So maybe the 51st is the start of the new one, like the the new turn, you know? Yeah, that's a weird way to look at it. I don't like you. (laughs) Hey, it's the other side of the coin. You got to look at something. And the other thing, because you mentioned Lou, I remember looking at a stat last year that was Lou was a bottom three playoff performer all time. It was him, Jamal Crawford, and Kyle Lowry. And that was before going into last season, so I'm sure it's shifted a little bit. And Lou had a great postseason last year, but really feels like last year was just an aberration. But I think the thing that stings more than anything, like absolutely more than anything, is the whole year we were like, man, 
these guys are like unbeatable when they're fully healthy. They're 13 and one. They're just destroying everyone. And it's very rare to be fully healthy. It really is. It's really, really rare. Like when you look at the Blake Griffin, Chris Paul years, like they only had two years fully healthy out of like seven or six or whatever it was. And these guys were fully healthy and they still blew it despite being fully healthy because of stupid rotations and just because of overall choking. Like game seven was so gnarly because it was like, it was like you couldn't, a Laker fan couldn't even scripted something better. Like you had, they didn't score a basket for seven minutes straight. PG hit the side of the backboard, wide open dunks, wide open layups. Kawhi has his worst shooting half of his career. Like a Laker fan, like that's their greatest dream alive. So it was just kind of surreal game seven because it was just like, how on earth is this this bad? But the fact that it was that bad with a fully healthy squad is what stings. Cause you never know next year they could like next year, they could have seven, 67 wins and then someone gets hurt in the playoffs and then it all goes to shit. And like, that's what's frustrating because you need luck on your side to win. And they had all the luck in the world this season, literally all the luck in the world. Whether it was Porzingis being out, Will Barton being out, the Bucks being out, like they had all the luck in the world this season. They just choked too hard to do anything about it. Miami looking like they're going to the finals, who the Clippers match up really well against. Correct. Yeah, it, it, it is what it is. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, they had their chances and they they pissed them all away. They had three chances and they just pissed them all away. I, for lack of a better word, they just they just couldn't close the show and it happens. They're not the only team to ever do it. Obviously they had the, you know, golden state did it in the finals. It's just, it's really frustrating to some degree to watch this team do this. And now they have to sit. They, I, I told you on the other night, I said, now they have to go home on a flight for at least five hours and look at each other eye to eye and wonder what the hell just happened. And look, maybe they come out of it stronger. Maybe they don't. I don't know. But in the offseason, a lot of tough questions are going to get answered. Some players will be back. Some won't. And Doc Rivers has to do better. Maybe he'll adjust better. I will say, you know what I was optimistic about with Doc Rivers during this postseason? Do you want me to be perfectly honest? What? I thought he did an awesome job staggering Kawhi and PG. Just flat out awesome job. And I didn't know if he had that in him and he did. And I was absolutely over the moon with how well he staggered them. And that is all I will say about the positives of Doc Rivers coaching job in the 2020 postseason. So final question before we wrap up, who do you have winning it all now? I got the Lakers. I mean, that's the I think, same bet, but for some reason, Miami just keeps making me be like, nah, sorry. I, I, I shouldn't say this. They're up 2-0 in the conference finals, and they've only lost one game all postseason, and, and yeah, that was without Miami, a Giannis. Milwaukee. What happened? I said one game the whole postseason, including a healthy Milwaukee. Yeah, well, yeah, but Giannis got injured in game four, and... Milwaukee won that one in overtime. So they're 10 and one and their only losses in overtime. And I still don't trust that Miami team. If they were to go against the Lakers, 
I just don't. And that's a me thing. That's not anything they're doing. That's a me thing. So I think the Lakers are just going to win it. Um, They're making shots right now. Their defense looks great when they're locked in and engaged. They have LeBron. AD actually is making mid-range shots, which makes them even more dangerous. I think it's the Lakers to lose at this point. So this is a weird bubble. Like, everything we thought that was... Like, I want to say the Lakers are going to win it all because that's the smart choice. But the, but Denver did multiple 3-1 comebacks. The Bucks lost in five. The top two seeds in the East are out. Like, it just seems to me anything we've ever predicted is wrong this postseason. Literally everything we've all predicted is wrong. So I, I like... You know, I wouldn't be surprised if, if it's like a Denver Heat finals. Oh my we already God. Thought if, the we, if we get Denver and Miami, oh my God, Adam Silver is going to lose his mind. But you know what, though? Like part, a real big chunk of me thought they were going to rig game seven to have the Clippers win so we could have Lakers, Clippers, conference finals. And Kawhi didn't shoot a free throw and Paul George shot one. I think that was what it was. So it's like, I don't think they care about that. Otherwise, they would have ensured these guys got to the free throw line. And they didn't at all. And so it's like. Until you mentioned it, I did not realize Kawhi Leonard had zero free throw attempts. In the yeah, it's pretty wild to get zero free throw attempts. Even if the Denver, like even, even if Denver was playing good defense, if the NBA really wanted it to happen, they would have just called some phantom fouls. Like, you know what they do, right? So I yeah. don't think they care about it this season. So if it's Denver, like I really wouldn't be surprised if it's Denver, Miami, but the smart money is always going to be on the Lakers with given who's left. Given who's left, it's I can't pick against them. Like, I don't believe in Denver still. I, I feel not to say it was fluky, but I just don't believe in Denver. Like Denver's shooting is going to come down. Jokic ain't shooting 45% from three against against the Lakers. Like it ain't happening. Uh, what's it called? Like Denver had several guys shooting really well. It's it's not happening like that anymore. So that's how I look at it. I think the Lakers are going to win the title, and hats off to them if they do. They've earned it. Whoever wins the title will have earned it. In one of the weirdest circumstances we've ever seen, if not the weirdest. Anyway, basketball stupid. (laughs) You got anything for the people? No basketball stupid. All right, everybody stay safe. Uh, Farbot and I will be back uh, sometime next week, early next week, uh, because what we are going to do, and I didn't tell Farbot about this, so I'm going to spring it on him right now. What we are going to do is potentially twice a week, we are going to do a player, uh, like like a player breakdown for a player on the Clippers from this past season. So uh, in, in retrospect, if you will, like for instance, the first one we will do next week is Kawhi Leonard's first season as a Clipper. And we will talk about it. We'll talk about the highs and the lows and we'll, we'll give like a grade on what we think his season was. So that'll be out next week. Farbod, it's not the end of result that we wanted, but as Clipper fans, it's probably the one we deserved. That's well stupid. Okay. We'll see you all next week. Take it easy.
Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime.